0: You are listening to Pastor John Castile's "Becoming Father" sermon from the 9 a.m. service, recorded on June 19, 1983. I'd like you to open your Bibles to First Peter chapter one, and also to First John chapter two, or, and we will be reading from those scriptures, and then also from First Timothy three, and from Titus one this morning. So you might want to find those spots. Praise the Lord. Can we go to the Lord in prayer as we go into his word? Father, we give you praise and glory and honor. Our hearts are filled with thanksgiving as we come before your presence to open your word and to allow that your word would speak to our hearts. In Jesus' name, I ask that you would grant unto me wisdom and ability to speak clearly and understandably the word that you placed upon my heart. And Father, I ask in Jesus' name that you grant the hearers understanding hearts and minds that they may comprehend and make firm decisions in following you. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Today I will be speaking specially to the men and fathers taking advantage of the fact that our country is today honoring fathers by setting this day aside for that purpose, to give the family a a little uh, incentive to say, thank you, Dad, and to recognize the ministry and the, the giving that is becoming a father. But to begin, we need to set the framework that becoming a father a godly father entails, and we're going to begin by getting born, okay? First Peter chapter 1 and verse 22, Peter says, Seeing ye have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren, see that ye love one another with a pure heart fervently, being born again, not of corruptible seed. Aren't you glad that you were born not of a corruptible seed? But you were born of incorruptible seed. Being born again not of a corruptible seed but of incorruptible by the word of God which liveth and abideth forever. And then Peter makes the comparison of that which is temporal and that which is eternal. You have been born again if you've come to the Lord Jesus and surrendered your heart and life to Him, that Word of God that brought you to that decision is an incorruptible Word, and it has formed an incorruptible seed within you that produces incorruptible life. And notice what he says. For all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man as the flower of grass. The grass withereth, and the flower thereof falleth away, all that which is natural all that which comes from man in their natural mortality is just like the flowers of the field or the herbs of the field in that they grow and they have a time of flourishing, then a time of dying, and then it's gone. He said, but the word of the Lord endureth forever. Praise the Lord. And this is the word which by the gospel is preached unto you. So he's talking about God's word that comes within the the structure of the preaching of the word of God. The gospel that is preached to you Sunday by Sunday, uh, week by week, day by day if you hear it on radio or if you hear it by tapes, this gospel that is preached, he says, is within that the word of God that causes that new birth experience. He says, verse t- chapter 2, verse 1, Wherefore, laying aside, this is a very important verse, laying aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisies and envies, and all evil speakings, as newborn babes, desire the sincere milk of the word, that ye may grow thereby. If so be ye have tasted that the Lord is gracious. To whom coming as unto a living stone, disallowed indeed of men, but chosen of God, and precious, ye spiritual house a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Now, Peter's intention is to set a foundation, a direction, and an ultimate goal in the minds of the early saints. This is what we call a general epistle or a general letter of the Apostle Peter to all of the believers and the Christians of his day that it would be carried and read and brought to the churches so that those Christians would have that foundation and that direction and that goal set by himself as to what God's intention was in their life. And I believe that foundation and that direction and that goal have remained the same in God's mind and in God's economy through the almost 2,000 years that have followed. It all begins with being born anew by the living word of God, We are begotten then to a new and a living hope. Now what that means is simply that the new birth brings with us or to us a new set of goals and a new reason for being alive. Now formerly, our goal was our own self-preservation, our own happiness, our own joy, our own thing. And the means that we arrived at that We're various worldly means, whether through education or business or whatever, to try to get out of life, as the commercials say, all the gusto that you can get because you only go around once. Well, you see I've been listening to beer commercials. (laughs) We have a new life now in Jesus through the new birth, but we also have a new destination. We don't have a new life with which to pursue the same old goals, but we have a new life. We also have a new destination and we have new goals in mind with that new life, both eternally and also right here and now in this time frame. To arrive at that destination, there must be some changes made in the way we pursue life itself. It all begins by recognizing ourselves as newborns. Now this is a little bit difficult for older men and older women to come into the kingdom and to humble themselves and become as Jesus said little children because we want to come in with all the maturity and all the wisdom and all the stature that we might have in business or in our families but in fact Peter is saying that being born again by the Word of God you must first lay aside the former ways and desire the sincere milk of the Word as a newborn baby why? so that you can grow thereby and this is the reason to arrive at that destination therefore we must make changes in the way we pursue life itself and it all begins by recognizing ourselves as newborns I wonder how many of us ever did that when we came to the Lord did we recognize ourselves as newborns into a newness of life And into a newness of direction, laying aside our old ways. So, chapter 2, verse 1 says, Wherefore, because of this, because of this important thing that has happened, that you have been born by the Spirit, you must lay some things aside. That means that if you don't lay them aside, they will uh, dilute and impede your ability to grow. If you keep these things in your life and try to just add God's Word to your old ways, you'll end up confused and your growth will be stunted. And so the first thing that Peter says is, Wherefore, laying aside. What? All malice. That means harmful intentions. The old worldly way of of going after people and and, uh, hurting. Laying aside all malice. And all guile. Guile simply means hidden motives. You know, the guy that glad hands you when he really wants to earn some money off you. When his relationship is not legitimate. He says, Lay aside all guile. He says hypocrisies hypocrisies is the old Greek word for playing from a stage role playing uh, making yourself seem what you're really not there's a certain amount of that that goes on in Christians that try to become now a new, a new stage to play on a look spiritual act spiritual say the right words do the right things this must be laid aside because it gets even worse as you become a Christian hello Nothing worse than a Christian hypocrite, is there? Well, it's true anyway. (laughs) Lay aside then all malice, all guile, and hypocrisies, role-playing or staging, and envies. Envies are desiring what is not our own. Whether it's a ministry, whether it's a position, or whether it's a thing. comes clear back from the early commandments of coveting, the envying. And then he says, and all evil speaking. And the word evil speaking includes, takes in a great scope of our speaking habits, including the swear words and curse words and the filthy talk and the harsh words, the using our tongues as instruments of wounding. But it also includes the speech that comes up with unbelieving talk, the kind of talk that says what God doesn't say, that says things about yourself and about God's people and about what's going to happen that are totally outside the framework of God's Word. This, I believe, is included in the evil speaking. This is why he says all evil speaking. These things must be laid aside so that you can come to the Word of God as a newborn. If you are relying on this motivation and this way of life, you will continually stay in the newborn stage no matter how old you are in the Gospel. Because those things will impede your growth in God. So it said, As newborns then desire the sincere milk of the word, that you may grow thereby, if so be you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. Now, notice he's bringing the attention back away from the apostle who is giving it, or the pastor who is giving it, to the presence of Jesus. If you have tasted that Jesus is gracious... That He is full of strength and power and, and, and that awesome quality we call grace. If you've tasted that He is gracious, lay those things aside and desire the sincere milk of His Word that you can grow. Here is the main ingredient for growth then. The early church practiced these four elements of growth. They're found in Acts chapter 2. The Apostles' Doctrine, Fellowship, Breaking of bread and prayers. Now I want you to notice that they didn't have Bibles like we have today. Every one of us can have a Bible or many translations of the Bible and a concordance and all of these things. The early church had none of these. So they received the word of God under the ministry and within the fellowship of the disciples. And that framework was given with breaking of bread among the saints and in much prayer. So when he talks about the sincere milk of the Word, I believe he's including all of these elements, but because of their format of the way the Word of God came in those days, he didn't enumerate all four. So there was the Word of God coming through the anointed teachers and preachers of the Word within the context of fellowship and community and prayer that caused the early church to grow with such leaps and bounds. Notice that the Apostles' Doctrine was first in the list in Acts. I think that's... uh, What verse is that? Thirty. What is it? Uh, 41, yes. Acts 2, verse 41. Notice the Apostles' Doctrine was first and most important of all these elements of growth. Remember that Jesus had said that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. God's Word then is what we call growing food. Hallelujah! By this process, we come to God. Notice verse 4 uh, of First Peter 2. To whom coming? Again, he's talking about if you've tasted that the Lord is gracious, to whom coming? This laying aside and desiring His word is, in fact, the way that you approach and draw near to the Lord. To whom coming? Now, notice in verse 5, he says... As you are coming, ye also then, as living or lively stones, are built up. Here is this growth. You're built up into something, a spiritual house. Now the word house in the Bible is more than just a building. It's talking about like the house of David or the the house of the Lord. It's talking about his family. You are built into the family of God, into a relationship with God through this process of laying aside and desiring You're coming to Jesus. You're building up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. And as we come to Jesus, through the word and through his method, we are built up and we become the house, we become the royal priesthood that he's called us to do. This then gives us some understandings. First of all, if we are not being built into that, if we are not becoming part of that spiritual house or that holy priesthood. It's clear then that we're not growing from God's word. We're growing on something else. If we are not going in the direction that God ordained, then it's because we are putting other things into our life and we're not growing on God's way and in God's terms. And so we are not becoming what he wanted us to become. His process brings his direction in our lives. It continually amazes me that people think continually that their way will get them where God wants them. That doing things their own way because they particularly are different than other people will cause them to become what God wants them to be and it won't. They'll find themselves years later the same people without change continually in the baby stage. Newborn, but that's all. Not changed. John gives this process in a different format and it's and it's brought rather than so general, it's brought into more stages. And we can find that in 1 John chapter 2. And as he writes, he writes many things, but he centers on learning to love each other. But notice what he says in verse 12. He says, I write unto you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. I write unto you, fathers, because ye have known him that is from the beginning. I write unto you, young men, because ye have overcome the wicked one. I write unto you, little children, because ye have known the Father. I have written unto you fathers, because ye have known him that is from the beginning. I have written unto you, young men, because ye are strong, and the word of God abideth in you, and ye have overcome the the wicked one. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh... The lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Now notice, John is saying almost the same thing Peter is saying, only in a different framework, in a different way. These two beloved apostles writing to the church of their days are explaining some things. Number one, he's telling all three stages of life, John is, that you must lay aside this love of the world, which is called and broken down into the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life. And if you'll find the temptations that have come to man throughout history, beginning with the temptation that lured even Adam into sin, was the lust of the eye, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. The three realms of temptation. We're not going to develop those here, but it's those three main ingredients of the old nature that Peter is saying we must lay aside, and John is saying if you pursue these things, then the love of the Father cannot come in you. If you're filled with the love of the world, you cannot be filled with the love of the Father. To become what God has called us to become, we must empty that old way of pursuit and open ourselves up to his love and his way. And he says, if you pursue it this way, it passes away and it becomes nothing. You can continue in the ways of man. doesn't mean necessarily that you might lose your salvation, but you'll never become what God has called you to become. You'll never enjoy the life of the Father, the love of the Father within you. Well, you'll pass away. But the man that moves in the will of God abides forever, he says. I want you to hear these three stages that John was writing to. I write unto you little children. It seemed important to John that the little children stage in a Christian would understand that your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. Praise the Lord. It's so important for us to know when we come to the Lord that everything we've done, all of our motives and our ways that it's all buried under the blood of Jesus, swept away by Calvary, and it's buried in the sea of God's forgetfulness. And as my father-in-law says, God sets up a sign and says, No fish in. Hallelujah. You can't even go back after your own sin. They're taken away. They're removed from you for His name's sake. Not because of your goodness or your grace or your ability, but because of the gift of God's loving grace, bringing you into His family, erasing entirely and completely all of your sins. From you. That's important that a new one learn. And then he's telling the young men, he tells them two messages. Notice in verse 13 he says, I write unto young men because you have overcome the wicked men, wicked one. It's important for young men to know that they can identify with the victory of Jesus and literally make it their own and overcome before they ever fight the battle. That when you face all the troubles of being young, all the the problems of having the drugs thrown at you and the alcohol and the lifestyle and all of the immorality, you can enter that arena of life having already overcome. You have overcome Him through Jesus Christ. You don't have to go in and try your wings. You can be strong in the Lord as you enter. It's very important that young men know that and that young Christians know that they are walking in Christ's victory. Not their own. Then he says to them also in verse 14, I have written to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abideth in you. There is a strength that doesn't come by feeling strong. It comes by having the word of God deposited within your heart. It comes from God's strength. Again, he wants young men to know that. He tells fathers, he tells them, I write unto you, fathers, praise the Lord, because you have known him. The one you've known is him that was from the beginning. He writes again, I write unto you fathers again because you've known him from the beginning. He says it twice. And there's a special something about being a father that John understood. John evidently was a father also, a natural father. And when he talked about this, he's talking about two stages, the natural fatherhood, but he's also talking about spiritual fathers. There's something about being a father that ties you in a relationship with God because God is a father I'm amazed at the way Jesus taught fatherhood up until the time of Jesus people did not consider God was their father God was distant and hard and harsh he was the judge he was the one that came down on Mount Sinai and he, and he scared them he scared the people he judged harshly and men were afraid of God And you couldn't go into his presence The pillar of fire separated them. The the cloud of God's presence. You would die unless you were very specially robed and clad, unless you were just one special person. People were afraid of God. Jesus never preached upon the fatherhood of God. Never do we have a record of him preaching that God is your father. He simply, in his messages on other things, he says, Your heavenly father knows what you have need of. Your Your heavenly father knows even the number of the hair on your head. And I can just hear the disciples listening to his message and intently and having that word, your heavenly Father, hit them. And their mind saying, does not compute. Does not compute. And finally, one day as the Holy Spirit falls on them, they begin to remember that Jesus had said that God was my Father. And so later on, Paul explains it by saying, the spirit of adoption within us cries out, Abba. Father, or a very close word that we understand, my father, my daddy. God is actually intimately close with us. This was the message that Jesus brought us, that God was close. He was very intimate with us. And so he talks about these fathers. He says, you have a special knowing from God because you have learned to lay down ambitions and hopes and special things that you've wanted. You have learned to give up. You have learned to labor hard that others can grow, you've learned to give yourself for your family. and So fathers have a very special potential for knowing God, because that's what God has done. And Notice what he says though, and we'll go back to this verse 12, I write unto you little children, I write unto you fathers, and I write unto you young men. John gives us an insight into the fact that the Christian process then is pursued in stages very much like our own childhood, youth, and maturity. John gives us uh, something about an insight that there are Christians in the little children stage and there are Christians in the young man stage and there are Christians in the father stage. Now Peter said as newborns to full stature But he didn't bring in these three other stages that are so important. Even though as in natural life there is a little of the child or youth or father or mother in all of us at any given point. I watch sometimes as my little girls try to mother me or father me even uh, when I'm having a struggle. And sometimes when I'm having a struggle I'm being the child and the roles are are reversed. (laughs) I didn't know that was a tongue twister until then. The roles are reversed and we find those things coming out in all of us but it still is a fact that we pretty well fill a given pattern with certain traits common to the stage of development we're in until we move to the next one. There is pretty well a of fulfilling of that particular stage. The goal that John lays down then is that of becoming fathers. Not of being stuck in being little children or not being stayed or, or kept at the young man stage but the moving and the progressing into fatherhood in the kingdom. Term because Jesus commanded us not to call earthly men our fathers and of course this was excluding our natural fathers of course because he called them fathers. Now let's look more closely at the stages then. Children, what is, it, what is it like to be a little child? In the natural realm, children need to be secure. And they have security by somebody looking after them and taking care of them. If children are not in a home, they need to be in an orphanage or an institution that provides that care. They're, it's wrong for little children not to be given that secure, nurturing care. They need to be given discipline. Children learn by playing, but they also learn by discipline. And they learn by imposed training. Isn't that true? Not very many kids like to go to school every day, all the time. But the little child relationship is one of that, that of being under tutors and governors until a time appointed by the father. So we need to impart unto them discipline and much, quote, exhortation. I get so tired of exhorting my little children. It seems like sometimes that's all I do is say, don't do this, do that, don't do that. In fact, when you watch the little children play and, and they act out being a father and a mother, it's very important that the paddle be near. Uh, my little girls are nine and ten, and when we were in uh, California last weekend preaching, they had an ACE school there uh, in the church, and we were staying in the school complex. And uh, my little girls thought it was a wonderful time to play school because they have gone to school at Grace Christian School. And the first thing they found was the paddle. Now, I happen to know that my little girls have probably only seen the paddle two or three times in the total time they've been at Grace Christian School. But that was a very important part of their life was that paddle. And I've noticed that when my little girls play with their dolls, every once in a while their dolls get spankings. <laughs> Have you noticed that? And they can imitate their mothers perfectly. Don't you do that. Look at me when I talk to you. <laughs> All of those things that go on. You, remember, you know what I'm talking about. Little children's lives are filled with play, discipline, and much exhortation. The Bible calls it nurture and admonition, a balance of nurture and admonition that prepares them to become young men or young women. One thing about children is they are not responsible. They do not feel other people's problems as yet or carry heavy loads. You can tell if you're a child in the spirit. I want your attention here. I think I've got it. Okay. You can tell if you're a child in the spirit if you are in fact self-centered in your approach to God and or the body, or if you are not yet living Christian discipline. Hello? Or if you need a lot of exhortation. That means you're still a little child. What is the cure for childishness? Taking heed to those over you. Learning discipline and some time. (laughs) Praise the Lord for time. (laughs) It, It heals a lot of wounds and helps us through a lot of those stages. Part of it is because we go through the same exhortation over and over and over again. Did you ever go through something two or three times before you learned it? Well, I sure have. Do. Young men this is the stage of life when we look better than we really are. <laughs> it's, a, it's a mixture of childish stage and the maturity that is coming. Young men are more bold and sometimes they're even brash. They have usually learned to take care of themselves to a degree and to their method and to their way of thinking. But I've noticed that we often call for dad or mom when we run into trouble. And when things don't work out well, young men still need oversight, even though they themselves don't believe it. Amen? Another characteristic of this stage of development is the casting off of Father's identity. We were talking to the elders a little bit about this as some of us are going through problems with our own teenagers. In, uh, there's a tremendous time during the teenage years of a need to establish who you really are and who you are going to be and your own destiny. To become a man or an adult, as the case may be, a young person must establish their own set of values and their own identity. This need to become what is our destiny brings us very close and brings us very vulnerable to one of Satan's greatest traps and attacks to us. This is the stage where rebellion is rampant. It's in the teen years, the young man stage. In becoming what we are to be, We must loosen ourselves from the given, from that which is given, or that that set mold that our parents are in. Many times this happens by the fact that we become old enough to begin to see flaws or errors or style differences between ourselves and our parents. And without belaboring this point, we become old enough to see flaws, but we're not yet old enough to know what to do about flaws. We're quick to criticize, but we don't really have any answers yet. We're quick to see wrong, but we don't know what to do about it. But we're quick to rise up in distaste and point out errors and flaws. Many of you can relate to this with your natural parents. It also happens in the Spirit. Now the trick here is to loosen yourself from the family mold without rejecting your fathers. To become what God wants you to be by seeing the difference and moving gracefully into that difference without hurting or fighting or rejection. And especially without rebellion. This is important for both the parents and for the child. Too often in church circles, this is the stage when people leave their fellowship in angry rejection of the very loving care that brought them to the stage of being a young man or a young woman. Constantly I see young men who think they now have it all together, leave our body because we don't give them, quote, good food or some other dislike it used to really bother me because I usually am able to see the flaw they see as well one of the problems of being a parent is you're very aware of your own problems (laughs) and when your children point them out to you it doesn't help that much (laughs) you just wish they you know it's it's so resounding in your ears that one little word is like a great blast of a trumpet but usually When they see that flaw, they don't really feel that they can stay under these horrid conditions and are off to find the perfect church or the perfect family or the perfect relationship or at least the one that caters very specially to their particular interest and stage of growth. If we're ever going to move into a fruitful family, we must realize that when you have many kids, a lot of things stop for the babies. Have you noticed that? You go to a family that has teenagers all the way down to the cradle when little whoever he is or she is throws her plate on the floor or messes her pants. Everything stops and that's taken care of. And the rest wait. And it causes the rest of the family to be not tended to but what it does also, even though their needs are not being met at that time, they are learning one of the primary ingredients of relationship and it's patience and tolerance. And they're learning to really love. And so it is in a church fellowship. Many times when we have to spend our time taking care of some emergency, those who are well and strong and adult now, many times don't get fed as well or as quite as much attention as they would have had it been an adult society. But God help us never to become an adult society. God help us to always have the sound of the baby in our church help the cry of the newborn to always be among us, and the cry of the little child. This intolerance and insistence on their own way, be it doctrinal emphasis or music style or whatever, usually only betrays the fact that they are, in fact, not yet mature. In fact, this is the time they really do need to stay at home, is when they're having all these problems with home. Or just as in natural life, those who leave with broken relationships, their home, justifying themselves for leaving because of mom or dad's ways, have a greater tendency for divorce. They've already learned to break relationships when things are tough. They have a greater tendency to quit jobs and to fall out of school and to cease their education because they've already learned that when things don't go their way, get up on your hind feet and walk out of it. And these people really hurt themselves. The same thing goes on in the spirit. Many have diminished their potential for the future by leaving home in a high-handed manner, refusing the advice and counsel of their spiritual fathers. The positive side of this age, the young men age, is the capacity to learn and the capacity to be partakers of team endeavors. Under correct discipline, this age can grow leaps and bounds. They can be directed into greater, more tremendous futures by capturing that energy and that fertile time in their life to become almost double what they would be if they took poor advantage. And what I mean by this, this is the time when a man's life, the way he handles his young man's stage, determines whether he will be a laborer or a statesman whether he'll be a common man or a professional. By the way, he handles his young man status. In the spirit, it is the time when the man either becomes a nominal Christian for the rest of his life, a bench warmer, or whether he comes into a powerful walk with Jesus. It all depends on how he uses his young man status. Finally, we come to the father stage I need to add in here, how do you get out of the young man stage? Well, by learning patience, by learning tolerance, by learning to see flaws without being critical, by understanding that it's God's grace that helps us through everything, by being compassionate, by learning submission to authority and trusting God in it. Finally, we come to the father stage and... Fathers, thank the Lord, are, are usually better than they look. And uh, this is the time when we are called to lead, when we're not sure that we can lead, and it's a time to carry, when we don't always feel strong enough to carry, and it's a time to support. Fatherhood is when God saddles you with responsibility you cannot walk out of. But it's also a time when His grace rises in your life to help you cope with those responsibilities. It is the time when he imparts supernatural strength and wisdom. Because, you know, when you move into fatherhood in the kingdom, just like it is when you move into fatherhood in the natural, you have taken on the partnership with God of raising his kids. Just as in the natural, my children are really God's kids. And I have become, in God's economy, the vehicle with which he wants to give grace and strength to help me raise his kids, even so it is in the realm of the Spirit. God's family needs fathers. God's family needs men and women who will commit their lives to the ongoing responsibility of seeing that little children become men and women. Unfortunately there are few in the lay side of ministry that have given, been given the opportunity to come into that place or have come to that place of fatherhood in the Lord. And I believe that's the primary call that God has on the church today, is that men and women come past these little children stages, past these stages of being youths and young men, and come into their stage of fatherhood in the kingdom, mothers in Israel. God wants us all to become fathers. Which means becoming fruitful, loyal, giving, steady, committed. Paul gives us the exact characteristics in his request for church officers. And if you'll turn with me to uh, 1 Timothy chapter 3, we'll read those as he lays them down, and then we'll read from Titus 1. Things that he wants us to become. This is a true saying, he says. If a man desire the office of a bishop or an overseer, he desireth a good work. A bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, vigilant, sober of good behavior, given to hospitality, apt to teach, not given to wine, no striker, not greedy of filthy lucre, but patient, not a brawler, not covetous, one that ruleth well his own house, having his children in subjection with all gravity. For if a man know not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? Not a novice, lest being lifted up with pride he fall into the condemnation of the devil, Moreover, he must have a good report of them which are without, lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. Likewise must the deacons, or the servants, be grave, not double-tongued, not given to much wine, not greedy of filthy lucre, holding the mystery of the faith in a pure conscience. And let these also first be proved, then let them use the office of a deacon, being found blameless. Even so must their wives be grave, not slanderers, sober, faithful in all things. Let the deacons be the husbands of one wife, ruling their children in their own houses well. For they that have used the office of a servant or a deacon well, purchase to themselves a good degree and great boldness in the faith which is in Christ Jesus. Now if you'll turn to Titus chapter 1, we'll find the same things again. First, he's writing to Timothy, who was the pastor of the church at Ephesus, and then Titus, who was in charge of the church. Churches in the island of Crete. He says, For this cause I left thee in Crete, in verse 5, that thou shouldst set in order the things that are wanting, and ordain elders in every city as I had appointed thee. If any be blameless, the husband of one wife, having faithful children, not accused of riot or unruly, for a bishop must be blameless. As the steward of God, not self-willed, not soon angry, not given to wine, no striker, not given to filthy lucre, but a lover of hospitality, a lover of good men, sober, just, holy, temperate, holding fast the faithful word as he hath been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and to convince the gainsayers. And what this is saying to us here is not that these are restrictions, that a man cannot move in God unless he is these things. But instead, I believe what God is doing is pointing goals to us and saying, These are the things I want in those men who are fathers. These are the characteristics, these are the standards that I want to see in those men who follow on to know God. Now, the issue is simply this it's growth. The issue is that when you're born of God and you come into the things of the Spirit, be prepared to grow. Let's get rid of this idea that when you're born again and especially if you just speak in tongues everything is from then on settled. You're instant mature. No. There is a growth process that you must enter into in God. And the tragedy as I wrote in your bulletin is that when men are mature in the natural world in natural things and are immature in God those who who are under them, suffer. Their own lives suffer. They never reach the potential that God has called them to. God has a holy calling upon you. You have a holy destination. You are a privileged people. We have been called unto Jesus to be saved and to be freed and to be delivered, but also to become sons of God, children of the Most High. I believe that fatherhood is a A tremendous blessing of God. You know, I received a card when I became a father that says to Marguerite and I it says, You have everything that it takes to be parents, you have a kid. And there is a certain forcing of the issue in the natural realm, isn't there? <laughs> you, you marry this girl because she's beautiful and lovely and everything you wanted and, and your mind is back scratches and fixing breakfast and, and, and loving and holding and communication and all of those wonderful things that marriage gives us. But one day you wake up and you have a bunch of kids. <laughs> and you are a father and you'd better get it together. Okay? There's just no ifs and ands about it. Those kids demand that you get it together. The demands are not quite as obvious in the spirit. They're nonetheless equally demanding that you grow. And I want to challenge you men because in our Sunday morning congregation, many of you come who are in the classification of the multitude but have not become disciples. You have never made the decision to lay your life down and follow on to know Jesus. And I believe today the Lord wants me to take this opportunity of being Father's Day to explain what fatherhood in the Lord is with you, to invite you. And I don't believe I'm inviting you for my own being. I believe that the Lord is saying to you this morning, Men, Let's grow up in God. Let's lay aside and let's pursue His Word. And let's become what He's called us to be. Let's become men of God. There are many of you that are have done your best and you're not satisfied because one thing that the Word does is it opens up and expands and elevates our goals until sometimes they feel impossible to us and we become impatient with ourselves I want you to learn today one thing from all of this and that it's God's word that makes the changes it's God's process that makes the change you can only commit you can only be open you can only desire you can only fill yourself with the word the change comes from his hand And sometimes the things that I'm focusing on that I want changed are not the things that God is changing at that moment. I've seen men look at a a small habit in their life and it becomes a defeat for them because they just can't master it. Because that's what's obvious to them. While God will be working in another area of their life, there's one thing you must learn as a father. That's that each child comes to the Lord and is dealt with differently by God. And so in the pursuit of your fatherhood relationship in the kingdom, you must be patient with the working of the Holy Spirit. And you must be quick to cast out bitterness, quick to lay it aside, quick to lay it down. And your final destination? To become a spiritual house. Glory to Jesus a spiritual house, and a royal priesthood. So entering into worship is is one of the destinations that you're going to come to. Begin to picture yourself as a man who knows how to raise his hands and unashamedly, knowing his own faults and failures, lifts hands to God, whom God has made holy, without wrath and doubting, but consecrated and given unto the Lord there's no more beautiful sight in the world than men and women who have made a commitment to give it all to Jesus. Can we pray about this? Father, in the name of Jesus, we come to you this morning and we honor these fathers, Lord. Some of them are fathers and grandfathers. And as they've grown and come to the time of life when their own children were raised, they found to cast upon them by your own spirit the concern for their children's children, and some, Lord, have reached out and are caring for other children and other people. Father, in the name of Jesus, I ask that today you would refresh them and you would lift them and cause the words and the cards and the greetings and the gifts to go deep into their heart in encouragement today that these men, Lord, will know that their labor is not in vain and that it's not overlooked and the giving up of life, and the committing themselves to bring home the resources to give to their families, Lord, is not something that is just totally taken for granted, but is deeply appreciated. But sometimes, Lord, is too holy to mention or to comment upon by the recipients of it. I pray, Lord, that you will bless our fathers today. I pray that you'll bless my father. and that you'll bless my father-in-law and every father that's here that you'll bless him and that Lord you'll put within our hearts the determination and the commitment to become fathers in the spirit as well that we'll be patient if we're young men and that we'll submit ourselves and become what you called us to become that we'll not be tempted through rebellion or through the failures of our leadership to become less than what you've called us to be. And Lord, that the little children will grow under discipline and grow, God, under nurture. As newborn babes, Father, that they will desire the sincere milk of the word, that we all may grow thereby, in Jesus' name, and we give you praise. Hallelujah. Would you stand, please? Richard.